A little bit earlier this week, there was a visitor we had out at the seminary. He's the rector of a large seminary in Australia, and he's on a sabbatical this year. And the mission of the sabbatical is he's literally going all over the world, United States, Europe, South America, and he's visiting other seminaries. Kind of a gathering of best practices sort of thing. Um, it's not only the United States that's doing some soul searching right now in its church. And one of the questions he asked me was, well, you know, what are you doing? As you're preparing these guys for priesthood, what kind of policies do you have? And, and I could rattle off things. I mean, ever since at least 2002 here in the United States, there have been a lot of policies and procedures, hopefully trying to screen out problematic candidates for the priesthood, trying to recognize what might be trouble signs, being able to offer help where it's needed. But after he asked me about those things, which frankly I was sort of expecting, he asked me, but what are you doing about abuse of power? You know, so God forbid anyone would turn out to be an abuser of children or anyone else. I know you've got ways of screening for that, but what are you doing to try and test for or screen against someone who might be abusing power that they're entrusted with, whether priests or bishops or even just professional church workers? And how would you assess that? That's a big thing that seminary administrators worry about. How do you assess it? How do you measure it? What are the tests you can use? And on that one, I was stumped certainly agree, yeah, that's a bad thing. We should definitely not propagate it if we could test for it or screen it out. But there is no test like that, at least not one that we use. And so we kind of chatted a little bit more and went on. He went on his way. But I've been thinking about that question a lot because obviously in no small way, it's not only the part of the problem, but in no small way, that's what brings us here tonight and leads us to do a lot of searching in ourselves and our hearts as a church. But over the course of the week, I was reminded of somebody that I know in the church. And probably like many of us, he's been wrestling mightily with feelings of disappointment or betrayal, of thinking that something he loved very dearly and given much of his life to now was just a source of confusion, sadness, maybe even anger at times. But he didn't walk away. And that's why this guy sticks in my mind. He didn't walk away. Even in the midst of the uncertainty and the disappointment and the feelings of betrayal at times, he hasn't walked away. You know this man. He's your patron. And we celebrate his feast today. It's easy to forget on our side of the story how our church began. It began with Joseph having to face an extraordinary experience. And it doesn't matter that we know that his initially perceived betrayal by Mary was not grounded in reality at all. And our sense of betrayal certainly is all too horribly grounded in reality. We're looking at it from our side. Our church began in that first moment with a horrible sense of confusion and maybe betrayal or frustration or anger. 
It's right there in the Gospel of Matthew. Many of you daily mass goers heard it this morning on this great feast of St. Joseph. So what did Joseph do? And famously, beautifully, poignantly, Matthew says, what Joseph did was he took Mary into his home. Now I get it. That happens after the angel speaks to him in the dream. But again, put yourself in his shoes. Jesus hasn't been born yet. Mary's not even showing that she's pregnant. And Joseph has to decide, is what I heard in that dream, is that really the truth or is that maybe wishful thinking? Joseph being a righteous man, we can almost quote it verbatim. Joseph, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. So there was shame as he perceived it. There was cause for shame. There was cause for turning away what was the love of his life, the source of his love, the person to whom he'd given so much love. The angel comes in the dream and all the rest of it. But at the end, Matthew says very beautifully, When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded, and he took his wife into his home. And I'd like to suggest that for us in the church, that's our marching orders. That's a beautiful, challenging, difficult instruction invitation. What do you do with confusion? What do you do with betrayal? What do you do with feelings of, have I really been hoodwinked? Have I wasted so much time and effort and love? What do you do with that mass of confusing and twisted emotion? You take it into your home. Because at the end of the day, this is not about only human failings. It certainly is about that at some level but it's about something more. And if there's ever going to be hope, it's not simply going to be grounded in human beings getting their act together and coming up with a better policy or behaving more lovingly. God knows that's what we want and we need. But Joseph wasn't simply counting on Mary behaving in a particular way. Because what is it that Joseph hears? What Joseph hears is that Mary has received the Holy Spirit. And this is before all the rest of the story. This is all new. This is not something that Joseph could listen to and say, oh yeah, that's the way God works, so this will be okay. He's hearing this for the first time. Mary, your wife, your human wife, has received something that she and you together for all your shared love could not produce. And so when Paul says, as we just heard beautifully proclaimed, Hold on to your hope, because at the end of the day, your hope will not disappoint you. Notice how he starts it off, and you've got it there in front of you. He says, your afflictions can lead to hope. Your afflictions can lead to hope. Not because we're sort of masochists, or we just tough it out, and we'll be able to take it on. He says, your afflictions will lead to hope, because the love of God has been poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. What he's literally saying is, you and I have the opportunity to receive inside ourselves no less than what Mary herself received. That's where the hope is grounded. 
It's not grounded in a better policy, though we need a better policy. It's not grounded in better seminary screening, though we can never screen too well. It's not grounded in better parenting, though that's a beautiful thing to strive for. And let's go beyond the hierarchy. It's not grounded in better love that we give to each other as spouses or friends or parents or children. And it's that good old American way to say, I've got to try harder. There's nothing wrong with trying harder. But at the end of the day, can we believe that hope is only going to be grounded in what the Holy Spirit brings and you and I cannot? What do we do? We don't just sit back passively. And I'm not for a moment suggesting that we should get overly facile about this and say it's somebody else's problem or just wait and we'll get it sorted out. Let me say something that may not be so easy to hear. Look around you. Why do we have to rope off some of the pews? Because we are just barely a drop in the St. Joseph's Ocean. On Sunday, these pews will be filled. Kids will be here. Young families will be here. Folks our age will be here. But they won't be roping off the pews then. And I remember when we were talking about when we might do this, and I said, well, why not do it on a Sunday? If Sunday is when this community comes together, and there's good reasons for not doing it, and I fully support doing it tonight, that would be my choice as well. But we're missing something if we simply say, we've gathered tonight and we're going to pray really hard and it's important that we're here. But we have to ask ourselves, where are the thousands of St. Josephites who will be here on Sunday? What are they doing tonight? And it was mentioned, there's this event, that event, there's some major things going on with sports and it's hard to bring folks out into parishes during the week. And so the challenge, I think, for us is not to say, well, how do we drag them in here? Because doggone it, they should be here on a Tuesday night. But rather it's to say, how do we help them bring this confusion or frustration into their own homes? Last Sunday, we celebrated the rite of sending, and it was an incredible privilege for me to be with them at that Mass. I'd like to call tonight the rite of bringing home. What you all have done tonight is what you said is, I'm going to come to the church and I'm going to bring into my own heart this confusion or frustration or sadness or anger. Like Joseph, I'm going to bring it into my heart and I'm not going to turn away and I'm not going to divorce it quietly. I'm going to bring it into my heart and I don't know exactly what's going to happen. In those very early days, I've got to think maybe it wasn't so easy for Joseph just to sit there with Mary by his side, a woman that he loved to be sure, but what was all this that was getting sorted out? What did it look like to think that the Holy Spirit was there? What does it look like for all the families in St. Joseph's Parish to bring the Holy Spirit into their hearts? Because if you really want to guarantee that our church has a kind of rebirth, a renewal, a conversion, it's not simply going to be because some people get their act together and where there needs to be justice, it's enacted, and some people are removed from power. If you really want there to be a healing and a rebirth 
for tomorrow and the generation after. It means that all those other folks who aren't here tonight somehow are going to have to take the church into their hearts and do it willingly. And it won't always mean that they're here on Sunday or Tuesday night, but wherever it is that their concern is, if they're with their children tonight, they are in a place where they very much want to be. They are in a place where they see their hope for the future. They are in a place where they're experiencing love or concern or living out their responsibility. How do we help them realize that taking all of that into their home or their hearts or their minivans or their sidelines at practice, that that is taking the Holy Spirit in? It's easier said than done, but until we crack that nut, I hope we're never here again for exactly the same reasons. But we'll continue to scratch our heads and say, how do I take the confusions or the uncertainties that life is giving me? How do I take what can sometimes be the abuse of power? How do I take all of that and somehow convert it into true hope? What did Joseph do in the face of the confusion or the betrayal or the uncertainty? Is he took it into his home and he stayed close to it. And he allowed the transformation of the Holy Spirit to work its way in Mary's womb, to work its way into his own mind and heart. The last thing I would just say is we've got to name for ourselves what's making that hard for us. If there are things, this side of paradise, we're never going to fully take in the Holy Spirit and fully let our minds and hearts be conformed. So what is it that's making it hard to love? If it's a feeling of betrayal, then name it, call it out. I know many of you have already, but don't stop doing it. If it's a feeling of disappointment, then name that and call it out. And that's what's happening tonight, and that's why this is a beautiful example of the right of coming home and bringing home. It's a process, it takes time, but at the end of the day, there's no real shortcut. And if that guy from Australia were back and I were talking to him again, here's what I would say. I would say, what are we doing to ensure that there aren't abuses of power? What are we doing to ensure that the priests of tomorrow don't propagate some of the horrific crimes and sins that we're seeing today? Say, I'll tell you what we're doing. We're taking these guys and we're putting them into homes. We're putting them into places where they themselves have to experience what it looks like for someone else to take another into their home with uncertainty, with hope to be sure, but without a crystal ball. You've got some of them here. This is a home you've taken them into. Some of you literally taken them into your kitchens and living rooms. Velasco's appetite is legendary. I know you feed him. But that's what it looks like. It's better than any policy. Now that's one example of seminarians going into parishes. But what does it look like for you, for the future of the church that we love? And it's little kids right now, tonight, who are at practice or doing their homework. It's parents who can't manage to be here tonight because they've got a thousand things on their plates. But can they ever connect that the love they're putting into their children now really is taking into their homes the source of hope for the future of the church? 
We live in a church today where people almost never make those connections. And that's a beautiful thing that those of us who are here tonight and reflecting on it can do. Communities for the kingdom, taking into their homes and allowing the Holy Spirit to pour in and convert. But we need to talk about that more. We need to be explicit about it. And so I would just encourage all of us, in whatever way the Holy Spirit might be moving your heart, to both for yourself and to encourage another, take into your home wherever and however you experience God. If you're joyful, if you're happy, if you're full of hope, that's great. Let it grow even further. But if you're frustrated or you're feeling betrayed or you're angry or you're sad, maybe more difficult, but take that into your home all the more and sit with it and slowly allow the Spirit to love you, not in spite of those feelings, but directly through them and in the heart of them. Our patron today and your patron 365 days of the year is a beautiful model of what it looks like to wake up one day and say, what I thought was the very object of my love has suddenly become the source of my disappointment and my fear and my sadness and my feelings of betrayal. Maybe it was just for one split moment, but that was a split moment at the beginning of our church. And what did he do with that? Precisely what we are invited to do. Take it into your home.